0: Wilson, welcome to Football North, our little podcast where we focus in on the Canadian Football League. Hey, we got a couple of very special guests coming up on the show today. In a few minutes, former CFLer Randy Chevrier. He came very close to making a comeback in this league last season as a 45-year-old player. Age is only a number for Randy. He says he's going to keep his phone open for CFL opportunities until he is 50. The Manny Show in Edmonton. Manny Arsenault is back in the league after spending all those years in B.C. Having a couple of seasons off, the 34-year-old is strutting his stuff with the double E. So I think you know where we're going with the show today. Older players making an impact, chasing a dream. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Bombers. Morley Scott, the voice of the Elks. I'm not sure we're chasing a dream, guys. But it, but in our business, age really doesn't matter, Derek.
1: Well, I think I think the three of us are much too young to be even thinking about <laughs> what it'll be like to be old, like a guy like Stanley Bryant or Manny Arsenal. That's morally, that's years off for us, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a long, long way. <laughs> yeah,
2: for sure. I'm not chasing the dream, baby. I'm living the dream right now.
0: Uh, speak for yourself, guys. I'm almost sixty. I'm, 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 I'm ready to retire. For goodness sakes, but that's another story altogether. Uh, let, let's, you know, y- you can even look at what's happening here in Calgary right now. A guy like Reni as you could make, you know, he's the oldest player on the team for for the Stampeders. You know, he, he's an early season, uh, you know, MVP candidate after a couple of uh, great performances in, in the first two weeks. Real goal to take the lead. Snap it is down. He steps into the kick and pounds that through with authority. And the Stampeders actually have a lead at 33-30. You know, is age only a number, Derek? Uh, you know, you, you do a lot of stats. Uh, you look at some of these, these older players that can make an impact on their team. Uh,
1: I think it it, it is, but it, it is in certain positions, right? When you're a receiver in the CFL and you start to get to be 30-31, you hear a lot more questions from from fans. Oh, can this guy still do it? Can mm-hmm. he still can he still get it done? And you see guys kind of getting pushed out uh, already. Uh, Naaman Roosevelt's a guy that I thought was was kind of ushered out the door of the CFL a little too early. He had an amazing season uh, for the Riders in 2019, uh, where he was just Mister Second Down and just instrumental to keep that offense going. By 2021, he was Montreal, Winnipeg, didn't play, gone out. See. CL- later oh he's a guest coach in 2022 and it was i mean the covid season goes in between there but it was a real rapid decline for you know what there there are guys that you know receivers in their 30s can still have some value manny arsenal was a guy i was rooting for when he joined edmonton i thought that's a guy that one can can still do some things and two players will love right there's extra value that some of these veteran guys can but in certain positions right linebacker receiver uh, we uh, defensive back, we start to get a little antsy when guys get north of thirty. In other spots, uh, the most outstanding offensive lineman can be thirty-six. Mm-hmm. Stanley Bryant this year. Quarterbacks can be. Uh, Ricky Ray pl- seemed to play till he was fifty-five. Like right, they, they can just keep going in certain spots. But uh, there's somewhere we get real, real against dudes being thirty or over. And wasn't Damon Allen a grandfather as last year playing in the <laughs>
2: CFL? So yeah, you can play. you can play for a long time. I, I think particularly offensive linemen are the guys that that uh, really kind of mature a lot later, learn the game a lot more. And it's funny they take more of a beating than anybody else, but they're able to survive it for the most part. I mean, I look at the Elks roster, and a guy like Tony Washington, who's 36, he's been he's been in the league for a long time. He's been on several different clubs, uh, but he just keeps playing. He just loves the game and wants to keep playing, and and, and has kind of admitted this is probably going to be his last year so he came home to Edmonton where uh, he had his most success and won a great cup here in 2015 and uh, is kind of soaking it up as he's going through what could be his final season in the Canadian Football League but he's 36 and and you know there's there's offensive linemen who are 36 37 38 and still playing and still playing very well it's something about that position that allows you to uh, to have success and and play into your late 30s and, and and be pretty good at it too. You
0: guys make a great uh, couple of points here because we know some of the skill positions. Hey, Randy Chevrier was a long snapper. You know, you, you, your your body doesn't take a lot of beating from that to position. You know, some of the quarterbacks. Yeah, some of the quarterbacks get hit. They they stay in. And a guy like Tom Brady in the NFL, he just gets uh, gets better with age. I, I I love the fact when you got some of these defensive players like a Charleston Hughes in Saskatchewan, uh, maybe even Simone Lawrence. You know, now thirty three, still a dominant player. Yes, a dirty player, uh, but still a, a <laughs> dominant player. You know, in this game. And, 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 and those types of players, you know, whether you're Charleston Hughes or Simone Lawrence, uh, your body takes a beating.
2: It does. Oh. There's certain positions where you, where you do take a pounding and and, and those guys play those positions and, and seem to survive. And I guess that's the key to staying healthy, like looking after your body, doing the right things uh, with your body and, you know, working out properly, eating right, getting your sleep and doing everything else you need to do to stay in shape and then having a little bit of luck on your side and not getting hurt. Because it seems the older guys, once they start to get hurt, then they just get hurt year after year after year. And then it ends up the fact that they just say, ah, I can't take this anymore. I'm stepping out.
1: Well, and, and that's got to be that's got to be an incredibly troubling spot to be in, right? Like there are several guys. Well, there's a handful of guys. I don't want to say several guys for the bombers that just don't practice during the week. And you go, oh, okay. Well, it's and Mike Miller is one of them. And Mike, I think, is is just in his early 30s, but uh, he's he's absolutely ready to go once Friday comes and the, and the music starts. But uh, doesn't practice during the week, and, and uh, you go, Ew, that's that's got to be a hard life, right? Where everything just kind of hurts where you're dealing with some knee injury but uh, the the guys you mentioned charleston hughes was always a fascinating character when i was uh covering the riders because he was 36 at the time and still he's got all the tips and tricks right he's not the biggest body he was never never had to capitalize on being uh sean oakman size the defensive tackle from toronto who's just a physical specimen but he's a different kind of physical specimen with the agility and the ability to dance around guys and 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 the smarts to know how to dance around guys that's probably the biggest part that, that keeps these older players going is is their smarts like maybe it's your ability to run fast and jump high that gets you into the league but it's your smarts and your your ways to conserve yourself that keep you in the league for a long, long time.
0: You know, it's interesting because you know nope. Charles Charleston Hughes here in Calgary. Sorry, Morley, I'll let you weigh in in a second. Charleston Hughes, when he was here in Calgary, you know, he was he was a fan favorite, obviously a dominant player. But I, I think the Stampeders, and this is this is tough for management, to, you know, because you see a player that is starting to decline. And Wally Buono was always, a, you know, perfect master of this. You know, he might have a year or two left in the uh, in the tank, but you see a declining player, and you have to move on from the asset. I, th- I think we all knew in Calgary that. Charleston Hughes could still play, but what I was told from the management team was, you know, he, he was strong in the first half of the season, and then his skills were deteriorating towards the end of the season. And and you know what? That, that, that's tough. You, you know, more, you got to make a decision when you're when you're in the management.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, and the key is, and, and everyone talks about Wally Buono being the best at this, is mm-hmm. to figure out when a guy is right at that point where he's starting to drop off, and then you maybe get something for him or release him at that point and and move on to someone younger and cheaper who can maybe sustain it for an entire season. And and I, we saw that here. They had a, a group of older D linemen in Edmonton under Jason Moss three or four years ago, and Odell Willis was one of them, and and they were they uh, near the end it was John Chick as well. They they the last five or six games of the year, they sat one out every game, and and they didn't like that, and they got mad at it, but it was able to give them that little bit of rest and save some wear and tear in the body moving forward into the playoffs, and it, it, I find it amazing how fast guys, some guys just drop off though, like Charleston Hughes, he went from leading the league in sacks to being cut by the Argos, in like two years, mm-hmm. right? It 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 just drops off quickly. I think of a guy here at Edmonton, Fred Stamps. He was all world for five or six years. A uh, Darius Bowman, same thing, all world for five or six years. And then all of a sudden, in Stamps' case, it's a thirty-six nothing game against BC, and they can't find him one pass to keep his his hundred game plus streak going for for receptions, right? Uh, and and he just he just fell off. Just fell off the map, went to Montreal, and then ended up not playing again. Adarius Bowman, same thing. He had you know, he he dominated for oh, about wow. four yeah. years. Ray over the top, he's got Bowman.
3: Foot race, Adarius Bowman touchdown.
2: He was the best receiver in the CFL in my eyes for about four years. Then the Elks ended up releasing him, and and he moved on to Winnipeg and Montreal, and just just all of a sudden couldn't catch the ball anymore. They never threw the ball to him, and he just was not the player he was. And it and it seems for a lot of guys, they get to a certain age, and it just it just drops off for them. They just lose whatever it is they had for some strange reason, and it goes quickly.
1: Well, and then the examples that that we've just put forward here, you see ones of coaches getting it right and coaches getting it absolutely wrong, right? Like uh, Adarius Bowman, uh, morally, I mean, you're bang on with Bowman and how absolutely dominant he was. He was the lead dog in an incredible – Receiving core in Edmonton, and then the next year it's it's uh, Winnipeg, Montreal, and just was not a factor anymore. But I can't stress enough about Charleston Hughes. Of Calgary, thought Charleston Hughes was done or wasn't worth the money they were going to pay him. He goes to Saskatchewan, and in the ensuing two seasons, puts up thirty-one sacks in two seasons, mm-hmm. and Calgary. Okay, uh, they had Jagira Davis, but still, I mean, Calgary has not recovered on the defensive end side of it, I, as much as I can get behind a guy like Fileron or Ermalade, Like, it's it's not been the same for them. Calgary is also the guy that said, you know what, Stanley, Stanley Bryant, you can move on. We have the next guy coming. Uh, the next guy, I believe at the time, was Derek Dennis, so not the worst pain ever, but sometimes... Sometimes they get it wrong, and I think some teams are very happy to capitalize on that as Saskatchewan would have been with that Charleston Hughes move.
0: Well, it's a great point because, you know, so what did the Stampeders do with the rush end position? Yes, they're trying, you know, a couple of younger players, but they still have Sean Lemon, who's in his 30s. And, you know, hey, you're just placing one older guy with, with another older guy. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Uh, is Charleston Hughes a better player than uh, than Sean Lemon? I guess uh, let the debate uh, let the debate begin. Uh, hey, uh, Morley, you had a story about Jamie Alessandro chasing chasing a dream to tell, tell, tell us the story.
2: Yeah, you know, and it goes for coaches too. It's not just players, right? Yeah. Jamie Elizondo has been a coach. He was a coach, or still is a coach, and, and he's been coaching football for, you know, 20-plus years. And he's been trying to get to that head coach level, and he could just couldn't get there. And he had a couple of real, uh, very public setbacks as well. As you'll recall, when uh, Saskatchewan was looking for a new head coach after Chris Jones left after, what was that, the 17 or 18 season, Jamie Elizondo was high in the list, and they wanted to interview him, but Ottawa had him under contract and wouldn't allow him to interview for the job. Uh, so he had that one taken away from him. He later left Ottawa, which produced one of the strangest news releases ever in CFL history with the headline, Elizondo quits on red blacks. Right. And he left the <laughs> team to go, uh, to go coach in the, uh, in the XFL. And uh, then he had the opportunity in Edmonton came around uh, after uh, when Jason Moss got fired and uh, the, the general manager at the time, Brock Shundland wanted to talk with Elizondo and, the XFL wouldn't let him out of his contract to talk with Brock about that job. So that's another one that got away from him. And then the XFL went and folded like six or seven games into the season that year. Right. And so it was a real missed opportunity for Elizondo. And he had uh, told me this story and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit and hopefully I get it all right. But he was back in San Diego. I believe it was where he's working at a law firm because he's a lawyer as well. And uh, he was driving into work one day and he called his sister on the phone while he was driving and he was talking to her and he told her he pretty much thought his coaching days were over. Over and he wasn't going to uh, he wasn't going to get that coaching job. It just wasn't going to come back to him and he's going to concentrate maybe more on, on on the law and other things moving forward. And his sister kind of gave him a lecture to talking to and said, you never know when the phone's going to ring. So whatever you're doing, you still got to be prepared to get that phone call. And he went, yeah, whatever, whatever. Went to work that day. And he ended up uh, a couple hours later getting a phone call from Scott Milanovich, who told him, I just resigned from the Elks. So Brock's probably going to give you a call later today. And he ended up getting that call later that day. And a week later, he was named the new head coach of the Edmonton Elks. So uh, he, he was close to giving up, but he still kept working Mm. at it. And, and after all those years, uh, his dream job finally came as head coach and, unfortunately for him it wasn't much of a dream because he really <laughs> he really had the stick uh the, uh the everything stacked against him in that uh, 2021 season coming in late because he didn't get the job till February he had to have the old coaches coaching staff he had COVID to deal with he couldn't meet with his coaches face to face for the longest time you know no short training camp no preseason games and the team gets hit with COVID and you know they went three and 11 and he get he ends up getting fired still a good football mind who's back in the game still now coaching a game in the XFL uh, once again as they as they try to get it up and running one more time. So he's a guy, you know, it happens for coaches too, right? You got to keep going. You got to keep pounding and hitting, sending out the resumes and making the phone calls. And finally it came through for him.
0: Great stuff. Okay. Let, let me put you guys on the spot as we close the uh, the book on this segment. Um, the best 35 plus player in the Canadian Football League right now? You know, a couple come to mind. Obviously, you've already mentioned Stanley Bryant. uh, uh, Derek, you know, we got Renee Paredes here, Charleston Hughes. uh, uh, If you were building a team, had the first pick overall for a 35-plus player in the Canadian Football League, who are you taking, Derek?
1: Gosh, there there aren't too many. Uh, It's got to be Stanley Bryant for me. Uh, 36 years old, just turned 36 back in May. Uh, Dominant left tackle. You just watch him... First couple of games haven't been the same for for him versus last season because uh, Ottawa's been really uh, persnickety or whatever. Give me a, a word there, that, <laughs> a team that's really fighting hard. Uh, I, I think Stanley Bryant because there are not a ton of them come to mind.
2: Morning, yeah, like? I don't, I can't, I can't argue with that. I mean, he's he's been so good for so long and is still going strong, and I think he's he's the guy that I would. I would pick right now, just off the top of my head. Okay,
0: well, I'll be a homer and say Renee Paredes because uh, you know, hey, kickers can play like Paul McCallum until they're a hundred. So uh, there you go, boys.
2: Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would counter with how I, I don't know how old Sean White is, but I mean, he's a Hall of Fame kicker and still yeah. going really strong. That's that would true. make me an older homer because he's not in Edmonton anymore. But uh, he's he's been one of the best field goal kickers of all time and still going strong right now. So uh, he'd be he'd be a good choice to pick too. Well, the 2021
0: CFL season was anything but normal. No training camp, a shortened season, interviews done on Zoom, and a 45 year old player trying to make a comeback. That 45-year-old player is now 46, but heck, age is only a number. And of course, I'm talking about one of the best long snappers ever to play in the Canadian Football League, Randy Chevrier. Chevy is our marquee guest on Football
3: North. Chevy, what is up? How's it going, Jock? Thanks for having me today. This is, uh, it's always fun to talk some football and, and all the fun things going on once the CFL back in action.
0: Okay, are you officially retired now or No.
3: Uh, From where? (laughs) (laughs) Good answer.
0: (laughs) You know, and and, and you were telling me, uh, you are telling me before we we hit the record button on this, you know, you'll keep your phone going, you know, for the Canadian Football League until you're 50, right?
3: Well, you know, I always go back to the day I retired, and people said, you know, I was 39 years old. Uh, Well, I guess I played with with the Riders when I was 40. And when that was done, everyone said, well, I guess you're done, right? And I said, you know, My old buddy, Roger Ryanson, University of Calgary product, uh, played with uh, uh, the Stamps, played with the BC Lions, and was my teammate in Edmonton. Uh, I always said he was a long snapper, and he had retired for one year, albeit, but he came back out of retirement, played the Western Final, and won his fourth Grey Cup with the uh, Eskimos at the time in 2005. And I remember that, and I've told everyone that that is kind of burnt in my brain uh, that I said, since the day I was done, when I was 40, and even last year, I said, I have one more Roger in me. And I said I have one more of those in me uh, until, let's say, about 50. And then when I'm 50, that's when I don't think I'll answer the phone. But uh, <laughs> as I also mentioned, the long snapping is such a specialized position. And if there's there's not a, a, a huge lineup of guys that can do it, uh, you know, um, sort of um, – you know, on a whim, if someone goes down and if one or two or three of those guys that may have been on the street are, um, are signed to another team, then the teams have to dig deep like they did last year. And, and that's how I got my opportunity. And, uh, yeah, it was it was really exciting. So uh, until I'm fifty, John.
0: Well, until you're fifty, and and you got a few more years from that. As I said off the top, you know, age is only a number. But 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 I'm curious, you know, how it all played out last year because y- you do keep yourself in shape. You know, in, you know, obviously you're doing you're a fireman. You got to be in shape to be a fireman. And you know, I know you play a lot of pickleball. You play a lot of ball hockey. You still play a lot of uh, you know competitive sports, maybe not at a professional level, but competitive sports. So how did it all transpire last year? Uh, take us through the story.
3: Well, again, just to start, it really does go back to the mindset that I had since I retired. Whether it was a fitness goal or anything, even when I played, like I always had to trick myself uh, to do things. So, like, even though I was long snapping at the tail end of my career, I always tricked myself every year into thinking I'd get a shot on the defensive line, like way back at the beginning of my career, right? Because that was my, my position coming out of college. And I tricked myself to do that so I would train like I was coming in to compete for a starting spot. So way back when I was done with the riders, every year I would say that. I kind of put it out there. Yeah, you never know this might be the year. People kind of laughed it off and joked, but that helped me in the back of my mind keep myself accountable so I can go in the gym and lift heavy weights, which I still do uh, to this day. Now, fast forward to last year. um, After the CFL season was, was canned the year before, I knew there were some crazy protocols in place in order to get guys playing. And I had told my colleagues at the fire department, I said, you watch, this is the year that I'll get called. Reason being, you got four days where any player being signed to a team had to be uh, quarantined. Mm-hmm. And let's say someone got COVID the day before a game and a long snapper to boot, which most teams don't carry backup long snappers, I thought this might be the year. And it was very funny because uh, the backstory story is, You know, I had been watching what was going on in the league, and three or four long snappers had been hurt. One guy in Toronto, I believe in Winnipeg, I believe Edmonton, uh, Montreal, and then um, I noticed that some guys had been signed off the street. And I just made a a kind of, you know, I wanted to manifest this thing, and I said, well, if I never take a chance, I'll never know. And I literally sent a Facebook message to Danny Machocha when I saw that their Sort of back up on the street guy signed with Edmonton, and that was Martin Bedard. And I said, Hey, what's your emergency situation in the playoffs look like? And uh, he says, Would you be interested? And I was like, Well, yeah. And he says, Because we need you. And I'm like, What, what are you talking about? And I find out that um, PL Caron, who was Stampede's long snapper for the last number of years and now with Montreal, he had gotten, he tore his pec. So they had nobody. And the guy that they had, apparently he really wasn't getting the job done. They actually had a guy that they signed to sta- to snap the ball and again in Danny's words not mine. They're like, he can't even bounce it back ten yards. So um <laughs> so literally I'm in the I'm in talks with the Alouettes to go there and at the same time um you know I found out that the uh, stamps might have a need. And uh, you know, I, I I wasn't certain if that was true or not, so I called Mark Killam. I said, Hey listen, Mark, I said uh, you know, I heard that you might have a need going into the playoffs. I said, I'm not trying to push your buttons or, or play, but I said, I got a legitimate offer from the Alouettes to go play, you know, the last seven games of the season with them. And I said, ideally I would love to uh, stay in Calgary. Obviously I don't have to leave my family because if I was going to the Alouettes, I would have to stay in Montreal. And I, I kind of had it all worked out with work because I, I was working from home at the time um, in my role as a community safety officer with the fire department. But I didn't want to leave Calgary. Anyhow, the thing with Montreal kind of fell apart. Uh, I left it with Killam. I told him that it had fallen apart. Uh, he, I told him why, like because there was some union issues with you know it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, um, you know I followed up with them uh, uh, a few weeks later and said, "Hey, Mark, do, do you need a guy?" You know I said I, I don't want to pester you, but if you need something, let's do this. And he said, his words were, chef, we can't just sign you off the street. We got to actually have a workout. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's all I want. Like I said, I didn't want to be signed on my past laurels. I said, I want to come in. I want to compete and I want to prove to you guys. That I still have it. So he's like, okay, we'll get a workout going. So yes, yeah, so I went in on a Friday afternoon, uh, probably a week later, I think it was the week before the playoffs. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly the timeline and, and I worked out, and um, uh, Mark was there, Taylor Altilio was there, Cole Huffnickle was there, Brendan Mahoney was there, a few other guys, and um, Cody Grace and Renee were there. And, we, you know, they put me through the paces. I snapped a bunch of punts. Uh, I snapped two field goals, and they saw that I still had it. They saw some movement, and they're like, nope, you're good. And, uh, and that was it. And then they told me what the plan was. And, uh, yeah, I signed the practice squad that first week of the playoffs, and uh, there was a very good chance that uh, – had they won the game against Saskatchewan, I would have been playing in the Western Final and potentially uh, the Grey Cup. So it was it was really awesome because for me, uh, it was just kind of manifesting something that I said it would do. Whether I got to play or not, I mean, that, that was really beyond my control. But I think I did everything that I said I could and would possibly do. And again, I think I proved to them that, you know, on a moment's notice, I am ready. And uh, I do lift weights and I do run and I do all that stuff. And again, I, I literally trick myself to thinking, yeah, maybe this year's the year I get a shot. And it's silly. But it works because it keeps me in shape. Because I don't have the motivation to just be in shape, just to be in shape. Like right. I like potato chips and chocolate too much.
0: <laughs> so 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 do I. I I, I got to ask you this question because dressing rooms can be a, a pretty a, a pretty clicky situation, and you know guys like to have fun in the in the dressing room. So you know, here's an old forty five year old. You know, coming in, you know, in the playoffs. Like, did they did they buy you the pens, or, or, or how did the guys treat you?
3: Uh, you know what? They were awesome, and it was really <laughs> cool because. Uh, I tell you, doctor, it was such a—it was a fantastic experience uh, for a number of reasons. One, obviously, I hadn't been in a football locker room since 2016, and you know it's been a while. I've coached football and minor, minor, but as a player, I hadn't been in. Plus, uh, in my job as a firefighter, uh, the last couple of years I got off the floor, meaning I'm not uh, responding to emergencies. I work in community safety, so I kind of have a uh, a day job where you know I do education, but I'm not with the guys like I was. So I missed that. Environment and walking mm-hmm. into the locker room was was very much like that again. But it was there was such a great energy, such a good young team, and I knew that like I know this team's going to be successful this year because of what I felt last year. Uh, and it was nothing but respect. Like the guys were so cool, but I did something uh, very purposeful. I went in every day in my uniform. Uh, I went in my uniform every day to show the guys that you can be more than just a ball player. And you can be committed to more than just one thing, seriously. And and I had a lot of guys that were like, I could see their eyes lit up when here's this 45 year old guy that works as a firefighter coming in full uniform, coming to you know practice and snap and lift weights and all that stuff, and then put his uniform back on and go to work. And I think there was there's something uh, important there that that, uh, that happened. You know, there was a, there was a lot of guys that saw okay football's important but i can also be more than that and i had two or three guys that applied for the fire department kind of right after that week that i was there it kind of happened right in the window where the fire department was accepting applications and uh yeah i I talked to a few guys about this uh great potential future career long after playing days are done And, and it was fun like it was nice to have that sort of impact even in a very short window of time i felt like it was meaningful time. And my, most people will look at it like, oh, he sat on the practice squad, he drank Gatorade, and, you know, he uh, he hung out for a week. But it was really meaningful to me, and I'm sure to a few of the guys there. I'm not saying I had a this – this major impact, but I, I formed a couple of really good relationships and had some good conversations with guys, and that's really what I'm all about, is 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 connecting people and having uh, good, meaningful experiences. So it was great. It was absolutely great.
0: You know, that's a fantastic story, Randy, and I, I appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. And, and, and you know what I find really interesting, too, and you know, we just recently had the Hall of Fame game, and then there's Will Johnson. Will Johnson had a great, outstanding CFL career and, and of course, you know, made a home in Calgary because, you know, he became part of the calgary police force and, and and that is such an important message for those guys in the dressing room that are that are currently playing because you can you can become you know a good part of the fabric of the community
3: oh 100 jock like i didn't even know i wanted to be a firefighter uh like i have a teaching degree and for most of my career with the stamps i was substitute teaching as well as doing a lot of different uh representing different organizations especially for bullying and stuff and it wasn't until 2014 uh i don't know if you recall we obviously won the gray cup that year but it was the year that uh, i wasn't playing very much i think i played three games that year um i spent most of the time backing up uh you know and, and practicing with i uh, was on the on the uh, one game injured uh tim st pierre was snapping uh and it was a great ride for me and, and i know like that was the year uh the team awarded me the herm harrison award and uh and then getting the tom Pate. but really that was the year that i that uh, I started having the, the question of, like, what am I going to do? Like, do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to do this? And, you know, it was also the year where I started exploring different careers. And I had met, because the team didn't take me on road trips, uh, it was the first time in my life that I actually went to summer barbecues and socialized with people outside of football. And I met a bunch of firefighters, and every guy kept telling me, this is the greatest job ever, the greatest job ever. And I explored it a little bit more. I had a great conversation uh, with Stu Laird, obviously a Hall of Famer. And, and uh, you know, he was a chief in, in, in Calgary and uh, fire chief. And so I had some great conversations and I realized, oh, my goodness, this is the job for me. But 2014 was so far into my career. I'd already played, what, 14 years by then or whatever it was. And, and so I found the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life in the 14th year of my career, like going into my 40s, right? So I've always, always tried to – be that guy to kind of advocate for guys, um, you know, thinking about their future and kind of looking into it because, you know, there used to be this old uh, philosophy and I think it still exists that if guys are thinking about their career outside of football, they're not going to be thinking of football. And, and uh, I read a bunch of studies actually about Olympians and there was, you know, cause they obviously invest a lot of money in the, in the psychology of sport for their athletes. And there was a study that had come out that said, that the more athletes can feel secure about what they're going to do post-sport, that's when they can be at their optimal performance because they remove that anxiety. They remove that, oh my gosh, i got to play as long as I can, otherwise I have nothing. But when you know that you have a plan afterwards, you, you, you perform at your peak. And I would argue if you look at some of the greats, some of the greats, are, are, are players that played at their peak and then were able to walk away and transition into something amazing. Look at John Cornish. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew what he was going to do while he was breaking records, right? Uh, you, you look at guys out there and you think, gosh, that that's that's how it should be, so that people don't, you know, um, leave the sport and then don't know what they have to do. And and like you said, guys like Will Johnson, you know, Stu Laird, you know, Roger Reinson. He's he's a constable or a, an officer or sergeant, I believe. Uh, With the Calgary uh, Police Force, there's so many uh, great career opportunities for athletes if they avail themselves of those opportunities. But it also takes people to to present them with different things because I wouldn't have known about the fire service until some people talked to, to me about it. So I try to do the same for others. For some
0: athletes, I think it's it's tough to to say I'm walking away for the from the game. Other athletes, as as you mentioned, you know they, they have a plan. They they have a plan and and they want to stick to that plan. And and I I have respect. You know, hey like Tom Brady. Everybody's talking about Tom Brady. He's forty five freaking years old and he's he's still on top of his game. A guy like Charleston Hughes, he's thirty eight and and still playing at a very very high level. And and you know, you talk about the long snapping position where you know it's a specialized position. But you know, I look at the Danny McManus's or the Anthony Calvios or the the Henry Burrises who all played into their forties. Uh, Damon Allen is 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 another one. I, I have respect, you know, for, for guys like that because you know it's it it's it can be a physical game, it can be a demanding game.
3: Well, you know, when I see guys like that, uh, you know, the, all the guys you mentioned, and sort of even my my journey too, I have a ton of respect and appreciation because it's an uphill battle your whole career. You know, anytime you get a bump, anytime you get a bruise you know, the first thing they'll say, and, and it's it's a joke, but it's almost um, this systemic thing that there's that ageism, right? Like there's the belief that, you know, the older you get, uh, you know, the less um, uh, sharp you'll be, the less effective you'll be. And and, and for many cases, that's true, right? Especially in fi- football, it's such a physical sport. Mm-hmm. Injuries slow you down. But sometimes it's just a matter of, well, you're getting old and we got to replace you. And I think guys like that, I've proven that that's not necessarily the case. So I I'm, I'm a big cheerleader for guys like uh, you know Tom Brady, all the guys you mentioned because it's literally me like I know that at this point like I'm not banged up. Like I I, th- I don't th- I I didn't miss one game with injury in 16 years. Like any time I've ever had to sit it's kind of like you know the the roster space and all that, you know that that they you know the way they use the 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 but I've never I've been hurt uh, I've I've had some some bad injuries, but I've never missed a game, and I, I've done okay at taking myself. I, I stay away from the training room, but I take care of myself on my own. But the 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 test is: can you go out and play at a high level and perform the skill, execute the skill that you're uh, employed to do at a high level? And if the answer is yes, uh, then, and 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 people are being replaced, sometimes it's just for the fact that you you want to get new blood, and I'm not sure. Uh, if I always agree with that right because you do miss out on some great performances like if they wanted to get rid of Tom Brady years ago we would have you know maybe his time was up after New England we would have missed the magical seasons he's had in Tampa right mm-hmm. well, and, and so I'm a really big fan of that because I'm a believer like I believe in myself and I still bet on myself like I said I'm not joking when I say I'll answer my phone up to 50 like I will be ready because that's that's what I do. It's not because I can't leave the game. Like I love the game. I love watching it. I love coaching it. I love playing it. Like I won't play flag football. Cause for me, that's not the football I play. But if someone calls and says, Hey, we want you to execute your skill and do what you do. I'll be ready because I train way harder than I need to for that purpose. But at this point, it's so mental. Like I can go and snap a football right now and snap a perfect ball because I've learned to master the part that most people don't get. And those guys that you mentioned, the guys that play long into their career, they play better because they're craftier, they're smarter, and they know uh, how to do things um, efficiently. And, you know, I I would say Henry played his best football at the end of his career when he Mm -hmm. was with Otto. Uh, You know, um, you look at Tom Brady, you look at Ricky Ray, uh, people give up on those guys because they think, oh, maybe they got an injury, they won't heal, and then all of a sudden they come back. And and, and and dominate, and that's also you know I didn't know if we were going to talk about this, but like Bose played ten years now, or eleven years, and people I hear the news, people trying to give up on him, like are you crazy? This is Bo Levi freaking Mitchell. <laughs> Do you know what Ricky Ray did to the Edmonton Eskimos when they got rid of him? Do you know what he did to the Calgary Stampeders in the one hundredth Grey Cup? Uh, you know. To, uh, 10 years after he started in the cfl you do not give up on a franchise guy because every guy you mentioned danny McManus, anthony cavillo um uh, damon allen all those guys had talked like that throughout their career and yet they always rose up and when they left they left because you know what they had done everything they wanted to do you let bo do what he wants to do because he's going to do it right and he's going to win you some cups and that's my belief like you know, I, I, I hear it always on the radio, people talking, oh, should we give up on Bo? Yeah, we have a nice, uh, shiny new car waiting in the in the garage, but let's, let's not pull it out yet because Bo's been through the rain, Bo's been through the mud, Bo's been through the snow, and he's always delivered, right? fantastic and, uh, and yeah. he will again
0: it's 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 so true and and, and, and i got to close the book on in this interview but but uh, you know you talked about injuries and not missing any games if 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 my memory serves me correct i think your worst injury was when you were a bouncer in montreal and you got stabbed is that
3: right well that was my worst non-football injury that's for sure that's <laughs> and, and and you know like again without getting through the minds i know we have to close the interview but so many of those things from my past have uh, allowed me to hone my mindset, especially when it comes to sport, performance, when it comes to resilience. And that was a huge, huge uh, event in my life. And I've learned so much because of that event. I've passed through so many thresholds of awareness, that I call them, that certain things don't bug me the way they would maybe someone else. And it's because of something like that, very impactful, that I understand how to channel myself, how to focus when it's time to focus. And and uh, yeah, like... Uh, That was a terrible event, but to to be truthful, and I do some corporate talks where uh, I say that was sort of one of the greatest things uh, that ever happened to me because it galvanized my resolve for everything I wanted to do, whether it was playing professional football. I went to the NFL, you know, a year right after that, uh, you know, and then I transitioned that into the career I had, and even going into the fire department, that was a big change in my life, and it was tough. Like, it was tough to do something I had no knowledge about, but these experiences on the football field and out of the football field, dealing with hardships, you know, dealing with the unknown, uh, helped me to get to where I am now. So uh, I'm very blessed because of that game. And maybe that's why I always feel like I still got a little part of me that wants to give back to the game because it's given me so much, so, so much.
0: Randy, uh, great stories, uh, great chatting with you. We're going to have to do it again here on Football North. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, man.
3: Anytime, Jock. I really appreciate uh, the, the, the call for this.
0: Great stories from Randy Chevrier on Football North. How about Manny Arsenault? And getting away is Manny
4: Arsenault! And Arsenault has a touchdown!
0: Is the Manny show chasing a dream in Edmonton? Let's get the details from Morley Scott.
4: What keeps you going in this game? Man, it's just the competitiveness coming out to compete in a physical game. Just the, the mindset of being able to impose your will on someone else. But it's it's the man, football, like the ultimate team sport, knowing that you're a part of something that requires the man on the side of you to kind of do his job, and I think that's the biggest thing, man. Coming out and compete and winning football games, that's kind of what gets you going. Like you're always looking for the next game, the next practice, the next something. That way, you're bettering yourself and working on something. So, for me, that's what it is. Coming out, and compete, and always having room for improvement. You mentioned the physical part of it. I would think yeah. a guy who's closer to the end than he is to the beginning, that would be
2: one thing that really wears you down.
4: Yeah, but it's all about in the off season, how you prepare your body, how you attack getting ready, man. So if you in there putting in the work, training hard, it take care of yourself during the season. So and that's 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 one of the things, man, your preparation. And you know, proper preparation prevents poor performance. So everything boils down to how you preparing, whether that's mentally physically spiritually it all ties in together how you prepare for the game of football you
2: had a pretty serious injury in 2019 with the with the riders uh did you get to the point there
4: during that off season where you thought about not coming back where you thought maybe this is it nah because i had my first acl in 14 then i got hurt with the lions in 18. Um, they had the micro fracture. Then I signed with the Riders in 19. But how I am, I was looking ready to come back because I think the year after my first surgery, I led the league in touchdowns and was, what, top three behind Adarius and I want to say Darrell Walker with Raleigh them. So, um, nah, for me, it's always, the bounce back, the underdog story. So I would never call it quits. It's I always have something to prove, but I'm wired different. You know, most guys are sitting down, they'd be like, ah, right, you know what, this one is it, I don't want to get hurt no more. But for me it's how can I bounce back, how can I come back stronger, and how can I be better.
2: What impressed me about what you've done is going to the indoor league. I mean, a lot of guys in their early 20s go there to get some yeah. get some film and get on video and, and just keep the dream alive, but I guess you had the same reason going there, but
4: uh, it's not something guys your age do very often. Yeah, I don't work a office job sitting in a cubicle, <laughs> answering telephones and all that. Film is my resume. Um, 2020 was a COVID year. No one played ball. 2021 hit, you have to do something. So I look at it as an opportunity um, to still play the game, be able to walk away with good faith or play that game, and look, an opportunity come from the Canadian Football League, which got me here today. So I wasn't a seasoned vet that had all the success in Canada and took two years off. I was this guy, 20 took everybody off, 21. You know what, let me prove that I can still play. I'm in it mentally and physically, and I got an opportunity to be here now, part of the Elks organization.
2: You didn't get a chance in 21 uh, to play in the Canadian Football League. How right. difficult was that not getting those phone calls?
4: Yeah, you know what? It was kind of difficult. But at the end of the day, control the controllables. And those are things that I can control. Could I play in 21? Yes. Do I think I was better than a lot of guys? Yes. But at the end of the day, that's me speaking out on my emotions and my opinions. And if it was meant for me to be in the Canadian Football League, I would have been. But that took I took another road you know what and that made me better overall as a man and as an athlete having to embrace a whole separate grind enduring the physical aspect the indoor football which take a toll on your body so I have a whole nother appreciation for indoor football but it paid off because it gave me an opportunity at this point in my career which showed the guys on that Frisco team that it's a way and it's possible that I still keep in touch with I was like look I got an opportunity out of it. You look at Tahima for the BC Lions, the DN. He was in Frisco with me on the same fighter's team. He got an opportunity out of it. So it just goes to show you, man, when you put in the work and do everything that's asked, somehow things work in your favor.
2: Sometimes it comes down to not how much you're getting paid or not how many snaps you're getting, but just the love of the game.
4: Yeah, the love of the game, man, and how bad do you really want it, you know? Um and like I say, it's just all about doing your job and being a pro. And that's one thing that then kept me around because I understand what it takes to be a pro and how to stick around and coming in the game with solid veteran guys, whether it was in the CFL, the NFL, all of them, the ones that was good, that had long careers, carried themselves a certain way. And I continue to use that same motto, handle my business, the guys around me, let them see my work ethic to make them better, and that's kind of how I go about it. How's it felt for you back? Uh, Is it a little bit of a fountain of youth for you after having a couple of years off and then getting back into it? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I didn't have any years off. I had the COVID year off, which everybody had off. I was in football last year. I just wasn't in Canada. (laughs) So, yeah, look, I wasn't off. I just, (laughs) hey, I took a break. You know, um, but nah, man, it's good to be in a locker room. and got veteran guys, young guys. Man, I talk with everybody for them to pick my brain. But it just goes to show you, regardless of the age, where you from, um, iron sharpens iron. And the closer you are as a team, the better. And that's what it's about, man. It's bigger than football for me. Um, it's about how can I impact these lives, man, and build something in Edmonton to get not only the players excited, but the fans as well. So that's my whole thing about this 2022 season. It's bigger than football. Yeah. How
2: much has what you do in the offseason changed now that you're in your 30s compared to when you're in your 20s, the, the way
4: you work out, the way you prepare, man, the way you look after your body? Train even harder. I was up every day, 4 or 5 in the morning, 5 o'clock workouts, get my son to school for 8, sit with my younger one till three. I work my own sports performance, training athletes. I do my kid things from three to seven. So that's how my day started. Four in the morning, ending at seven at night every day, then it's family time. So my grind has only got harder the later in my career. But it's like I know how to push myself, training with guys, of all ages, being around the NFL guys. So it's like people look like, dang, coach, you how old? You can still play. You still got it. So for me, I've upped my grind because I figure it's more that I need to put in other than getting older and doing less. I do it in reverse because when it's time to not play, you know what? It's time to not play. But long as I still got it and have that hunger and drive, I'm going to prepare as if tomorrow's not promised. Just keeping the lights on at the Matty Show, eh? Exactly. Yeah, that's how I uh, That's how I operate. That's how I'm built. So it's just in me.
0: As we close the book on this edition of Football North, let's bring back Derek Taylor and Morley Scott and just sort of reset what has happened in the first couple of weeks in the Canadian Football League season. Derek Taylor, your thoughts as a lot of teams in the West are sitting at 2-0. and
1: uh, Anybody who thought the East was going to rise again, uh, no. No. <laughs> No, uh, Milt, I've been doing some IG lives with Milt Stiegel, and he said all four teams in the East will make the playoffs. And I, I just <laughs> I thought Milt was crazy because I thought Montreal would be bad. I thought Hamilton would regress. I thought Toronto is going to take a step back, uh, and they just barely got away from Montreal, and I thought Ottawa would be good. Uh, uh, teams, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody that looks, apart from BC, is there anybody who looks better than I thought they they would like the bombers don't look as as tight as I thought they would. The riders, uh, the riders actually look pretty good. Uh, the Stampeders, it's it's been a slog for the Stamps thus far, <laughs> but they found their way to two and zero. There's a, it's not quite for me like 2021, but there's been a lot of underperforming the the things I expected so far
2: the uh the one thing that comes to my mind and, and along the same topic you know uh, the three teams in the west at two and oh three teams in the east at zero and two uh separation already in that department uh but also uh calgary i mean uh they're two and oh but i think they could pretty easily be zero and two couldn't they i mean the way they uh the way they they won their two games uh, you know very very entertaining a low snap he's back dancing in the pocket turns fires downfield through the hands of a
0: defender into the Peters, they intercept and win the ball game the Stampeders <laughs> win the ball game. This is identical to the breakup. The ball ends up caroming off a defender and into the hands of the Calgary Stampeders. Jameer Thurman and you've got to be kidding me an absolutely sensational rally
2: very interesting so uh, I I think it's so cool that a team like Calgary and Winnipeg even though maybe they're not playing at the top of their game they're good teams and they still find a way to win year in and year out
1: week in and week out in the season Kalara straight drop looking left looking for the corner for shown it's a touchdown Dalton Schoen, schooling is that Randall Evans, Patrick levels and Dalton Schoen with his first CFL touchdown.
2: I think we saw that from both of them. Uh, You know, they're in in the, the two teams in four close games, right? And at some point could have gone either way, but, you know, they're good and they figured out a way to win a football game. And that's what good teams do.
0: I would agree that the jury is still out for me on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. You know, I, I, you know, hey, Winnipeg has played Ottawa a couple of times. It's going to take, you know, Jeremiah Mazzoli has been very, very good, but I'm still not convinced that they're a great team. Calgary has been a little bit fortunate to be uh, to be two and zero. I will say for me, you know, the big story, uh, the number one story, and and it's still very early in the Canadian Football League is the is the BC Lions. Love what they did for their season opener. Love the fact that they brought in One Republic. You know, they they created. the party they created a great atmosphere and you know even though I wasn't at that game guys I, I just I just saw a younger demographic in the stands and to me I think that is so important so you know kudos to the new owner in BC because uh, I hope that trend continues because I think it's important for the Canadian football
2: league. Hey. I was at that game and it William. wasn't that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good. Good point. Good point.
0: If you're a loser, Mor-
2: Morley, wh- they did put on a great show, though. They did put on a great show. I mean, the, the stuff they had outside the stadium in the street party on Robson, they had part of Robson Street closed down, and it was it was a great atmosphere. I loved everything about the day until the kickoff. <laughs> yeah,
1: Morley, what's the halftime show like when the team you're calling games for has has already shipped 42 points to the opposing team?
2: yeah we uh i was glad this year that we actually have a host in our broadcast this year so i didn't have to worry about halftime so i just had to try and figure out what to say in the second half i told dave i told dave campbell uh, my color partner at halftime i said buddy we're gonna earn our money in the second half of this one because you're down 42 to 6 you know who's winning the game so you just don't know how it's gonna get there at that point so yeah it was a it was a tough
1: second half that's for sure you know, guys. Were they better against Sask? Did they look better against Sask? I haven't been able to review that game yet. Was much, there signs much there signs better. of life?
2: Yeah, much better. They, they, they. You know, they had better plays. They got some pressure. They got a little bit better protection. It's still a long way to go. But as Chris Jones told us on the post game show, there's no points for consolation. Right? Uh, uh, second place doesn't get you any points in the standings when you lose. So he wasn't happy with it. But clearly, they took steps forward. They were a better team. We'll see where they are this week. Now moving ahead. You
0: you know, guys, uh, I know attendance has been a hot-button topic in the Canadian Football League in in the early going. We're not going to dive into it now. We'll save that for for a future podcast. But uh, thanks so much for your time. It's always good talking football. Derek Taylor, Morley Scott, you guys have a great day.
2: Thanks, Thanks. Talk to you
0: later. And that does it for another edition of Football North. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. If you have ideas for future shows, we would love to hear from you.